The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about that pink collar criminal. The pink collar fraudsters on the rise and you know a few years ago leona helmsley made major news it's no longer so much news a number of really friendly regular kind of women um you know really shatter their employees trust and steal their money the pink collar fraudster is one of the growing number of lower to middle level um office workers or uh, any other kind of worker. She can be a bookkeeper, an office manager, a clerk, uh, an accountant, anybody in the position that is dealing with finances or cash or checks um, can be a possible target uh, for uh, white, uh, pink collar crime. It can be a small business uh, like the PTA even, a charter school, your own church, a volunteer organization, a local kids' pop warner, athletic lead, any place can be a target. And the t- thefts typically range from a few thousand dollars to actually millions with unbelievable, incalculable legal, ethical, and emotional fallout because that trust is broken. My guest today is experienced fraud investigator and certified fraud examiner, also a private investigator, Kelly Paxton, and she's going to share her experiences. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for being here, and welcome to uh, 2014. We were just talking about it's going to be a great year. Yes, it is. So Kelly has a background as a commodities trader, a stockbroker, and a bond trader. She also served as a U.S. Customs Special Agent, where she specialized in white-collar crime, colored a little bit now with in pink, uh, narcotics and undercover operations. Then she spent two years as a fraud analyst for the county sheriff's office fraud and identi- identity enforcement team. Today, Kelly has her own firm, though, called Financial Caseworks and specializes in most types of financial workplace investigations. She's a contract investigator also for the Department of Homeland Security, for whom she's performed hum- hundreds and hundreds of top secret clearance background investigations for the federal government. So, Kelly, uh, when did you start noticing this trend, this increased trend of pink-collar type criminals? So when I was at the sheriff's office um, and I was the analyst for the fraud team, we had a lot of sort of smaller embezzlements. And smaller, I mean less than a million dollars. 
And That's so small. The, <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of had a we had a barrier that you know five thousand and above we've looked at. So, okay. um, as one day I was just you know searching around the internet and I came across the term pink collar crime and it it just made sense to me because all of my uh, suspects were women with the exception of one man who I say stole like a woman. And we can talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they were all women, and none of them had any criminal history. And it just, they were kind of regular, you know, one worked for a winery, one worked for a dentist, one worked for um, another dentist. Uh, there was elder financial abuse, and they were all women. Mm-hmm. So I, I, um, I stayed at the sheriff's office. I was there for about three years. And then I left and went out on my own. And originally, I was—I had my financial caseworks business, and um, I belonged to a networking group. And I always talked about the women um, embezzlers. And I had gotten the domain name PinkCollarCrime.com. It took a little bit, but I got it. And I was talking to my networking group, and they're like, "You really need to do something with this." And the ironic part is, is my PinkCollarCrime.com gets more hits than my regular work. Interesting website. Interesting. And they come from all over the world. And and in the past, um, recent past, there's been several books written on this very subject, hasn't there? Well, you have uh, Cheryl Sandberg's Lean In, which is all about getting women to, you know, really lean into the workplace. Um, you, you have a lot of um, books and studies and papers that are talking about how women are involved in the workplace. And I don't think anyone has figured that more women in the workplace is a bad thing, and it isn't. It's a, it's a very good thing. Women are becoming more financially independent, mm-hmm. but they're also in positions where they have access to funds now, which they didn't sure. used to, say, in the 60s. Do, do you think employers – This is I, I know this is an odd question – but do you think employers uh, trust women more with their finances than they do men? Uh, yes, I do. I guess, and you, um, they're usually long-term employees that are the ones that kind of go south, as I say it. Um, once in a while, you'll get a sociopath who will steal within the first month of being there. But so many cases, and I tweet regularly um, about these type of cases, so many of these women are long-term trusted employees. And that's the hard part, is these are the women that have been in the small business owners' homes. They've gone to the owner's grad- kids' graduations. They are part of the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that breach of trust is just, it's, it's a double whammy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what do you mean still like a woman? What do you, how are you categorizing this guy? Well, generally, um, and these are statistics that come from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, um, men steal more money when they do steal, they steal in larger dollar amounts. Um, women steal more often, I believe. Um, the ACFE and some other studies are a little bit in conflict, but let's just, you know, split it down the middle and say it's 50-50. Men mm-hmm. are in positions where they have access to more money. They also don't have quite as close supervision. So when they steal, they steal big. Um, when women steal, sometimes it starts out as a need, like they need to pay the rent. Their husband has, you know, 
lost his job, left them, their parents are sick. So it might start out as a need, but then it just snowballs. So women will steal smaller amounts, but it goes for a longer time. But generally Mm -hmm. men do steal in larger dollar amounts. Yeah, that makes a good point, Kelly, about uh, usually it starts out with a need. I, my experience with employee theft in years past was it was typically they started out with something small intending to pay it back. You know, for instance, at a retail store, maybe taking the cash out of the deposits as a store manager and thinking they were going to pay it back the next week. And, of course, then they needed more money the next week. And then that's when the snowball happens. Right. And I, I um, actually have been come acquainted with Diane Catani. She spoke at the ACFE um, annual conference a couple of years ago. Um, she was someone you would never, ever, um, you know, expect to steal. What happened was um, she went home over Christmas. Uh, the travel agent for the business she was working at mistakenly charged the ticket to um, the personal airline ticket to her to the company's business. When she came back, she um, saw it and she started to justify like, well, they called me all the time over, you know, vacation. I'll pay it back next time. Well, $450,000 later, after she watches Oprah one day, she goes in and talks to her boss and, you know, she ends up in prison. So it literally started out as a incorrectly booked, um, airline ticket that hmm. snowballed to $450,000 in a federal prison set. And she, did she, she went in and confessed herself to her boss? Yeah, you know, what happened was, and this is from, you know, my recollection, she spoke at the conference, she um, was getting physically sick. And um, she was home one day, she watched Oprah, and it was like all about being true to yourself and, you know, not lying. Mm-hmm. And she's mm-hmm. like, I have got to tell my boss. You know, and hmm. she went in with the, you know, I'll pay it back. And he was like, uh, yeah, no, you won't. You'll be going to prison. So, wow. um, and a lot of these women that you see that get caught, and there's a really good example I can talk about, um, Bernice Geiger. She stole from her father's credit union in the Midwest in the 1950s. And she stole $2 million, which is a lot of money back then. Um, she was very charitable. She was philanthropic. When they caught her, she was like, thank God you caught me. I was just, you know, I was exhausted because the employees <laughs> never miss work. They it's it's tough work stealing from your employer. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it kind of is. And I just, I recently had a dentist and we had to um, have sort of a spreadsheet of when the employees were in the office and when they weren't to tie to various, you know, deposits and things like that. And she knew that her office manager didn't miss a lot of work, but in six and a half years, the office manager only missed a day and a half. A lot of Mm. people would go, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. No, that is the time to run. They're there because they can't miss that phone call that says, my statement's incorrect. I paid on it. Or you know, they just can't afford to miss the phone call, so they don't miss work. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah. Bernice Geiger, you know, she went in, she came back out, and she consulted for the FDIC, and she said, you need to make bankers take two-week vacations. And that's all because this cute little old woman, I believe in Iowa, did this in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So those, yeah, that, those employees you know, that right, you, yeah. know, you think are being really good coming in on weekends, you need to be careful. 
Now, um, a woman named Frida Adler has written a book regarding this topic that people might be interested in. What, what is the name of that book? Sisters in Crime. And that is, and I've actually got, I've had the pleasure to speak with um, Frida Adler. She wrote this book in 1975. And when I talked with her, she was just, she's absolutely fascinating. She wrote the book and for three years, it was an onslaught of negative publicity about her book. Really? There was such, they said that she was trying to take away from all the advances of feminism and the movement of women getting into the workplace. And that wasn't her point at all. Her point was, it was that the government, the criminal justice system is not prepared for what is going to happen. With more women in the workplace, more women will get caught you know, committing crimes, and there was only 4% of the criminal justice budget that went towards women and women's programming. And she took, her thesis was, you know, you need to be prepared. And that book was written in 1975, and I think that everyone who sort of dissed her back then is eating crow today because the statistics have borne out. Um, Mm -hmm. There was only 13,000 women in... Um, uh, 1980 in prison, according to the Uniform Crime Report, it was up to 80 in the 80,000 in 1997. Interesting, interesting. Well, and her points—I mean, she had some basic points that there was uh, a new breed of women criminals that there they needed power, status, and position for economic gain. They weren't any more honest than men. And women have more opportunities, and that's really a formula for somebody that gets themselves in a jam. Well, right. And when I talked to her, she said, you know, we don't have, we haven't had a Bernice Madoff. She's like, it's just a matter of time. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of sort of um, sociological and societal um, advancements for women, and they're they're basically, well, Cheryl Sandberg, lean in, become more competitive. Well, mm-hmm. those are sort of the traits that make men more successful, generally speaking. But so the women are starting to learn to like the money. Men, men and women like money equally. Men don't right, like it exactly. any more than women. I mean, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Kelly, we need to take a break. Uh, that was Private Investigator Kelly Paxton. We'll be right back. Great. Thank you. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. 
for a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Kelly Paxton is a private investigator and certified fraud examiner. and We're here talking about... Uh, cases of pink collar fraud, women who get themselves involved in theft from their workplace. Some of the famous cases, uh, Kelly and I were just talking about uh, on the break here. Uh, Kelly, you want to tell us what happened with Rita Cronwell Dixon? Sure. Or from Dixon, uh, Illinois, I guess it is. Yeah. Where, Rita Cronwell was the CFO for a smaller town, um, Dixon, Illinois. And um, she actually started working for Dixon when I believe she was 18 or 19 years old. She rose through the ranks and ended up being the CFO. Um, Dixon was a town that actually only had revenues of seven to eight million dollars a year. And over the period of time, she stole 53 million dollars. Wow. That's right. amazing. She, she just got sentenced this last summer um, for almost 20 years. Uh, the auditors actually just forked over about $40 million because they caught none of this ongoing long-term scheme. Her sort of weakness was horses. She was mm. on the cover of American Quarter Horse. She had a million-dollar Winnebago that she would drive around to these horse shows. Um, so everyone kind of thought, well, she gets money through her horse business. And the horse people thought, well, she gets money through her job or she has family money. Mm-hmm. But anyone who has horses pretty much knows they're, you know, you got to feed them. <laughs> they're expensive. It's an expensive hobby. Well, particularly show horses. Right. Exactly. Um, so she is doing 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. And um, uh, she's kind of the most recent largest pink collar criminal. Um, oh, over it, what period of time did she steal the fifty-three million? I'm I'm not exactly sure. I want to say in excess of ten years. So, and, um, and the funny and, thing is, she what, would misspell like on the checks that were written to her. She would have misspellings. Hmm. So, like the payee would be, you know, she'd misspell it. <laughs> so you on think purpose. the auditors might have these large checks being made payable to various vendors with pretty um, amazing, you know, typos. Interesting. And how did they catch her? 
Um, that I am not exactly sure of. It's kind of, I mean, I don't want to say relatively recent case, but um, I am not exactly sure what trips her up generally, what trips people, trips these women up. It's getting sick, not being able to come into work, and not being able to, you know, cover for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. It's a tip from a coworker, mm-hmm. a whistleblower. It is not an audit. Unfortunately, um, audits don't catch a lot of this because they're looking for uh, material uh, misstatements, material differences, and Mm -hmm. um, they don't catch sort of smaller type of checks. So, but the auditors on this case, I mean, they've just forked over $40 million because Mm -hmm. they were pretty much asleep at the switch. And that's what they could prove. There may have been more than that. Right, right. And there's um, a movie that's out, All the Queen's Horses, the documentary um, by another uh, accounting professor in the Midwest. Um, I haven't seen all of it. I've seen parts of it, and it's pretty darn fascinating. A lot of interviews and a lot of the background of that case in particular. Interesting. So she's the the biggest and the most recent. Um, What are some of the others? Um, Some of the other ones, there's... um, Car dealerships, auto dealerships get um, hit quite regularly. And actually, I was in—I went into my car service just the other day, and it used to be you would pay out in the service bay. Well, now they've moved it in inside. So it kind of makes me wonder if there was a, you know, checks and balance. Their auditors came in and said, no, we want it all in one place. So this woman, Patricia Smith, stole $10 million from uh, Acura dealership out of Pennsylvania. And when they caught her, um, she had she made fifty three thousand dollars a year as an employee. Um, she had taken her family, and literally, I cannot make this stuff up, to see the Pope. And like, I, I don't know if she thought the Pope would forgive her. She also spent her family. <laughs> she actually went to Italy to see the Pope and took her family. Yeah. Yeah, and did she have amazing. an audience with him? Uh, I don't. Well, it sounds like she got inner, sort of, you know, than the mass crowds. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So she took her family to see the Pope. She had, it was either a private lunch or dinner with the Barefoot Contessa, who I love. But, you know, I can't imagine what that cost. Uh-huh. Um, she took her family to Super Bowl games. And it was really kind of sad. Um, she said she wanted to see how happy people live. And hmm. she just wanted a part of that. Well, I, you know, I'm sure her family <laughs> wouldn't have, you know, I don't know if they said, let's go see the Pope or what, but she really thought money was the key to happiness in her family. Mm-hmm. You know, so, re- recently I had, I was involved in a case that involved a woman that worked at, at a bank. She was... She was supervised several banks actually, and she had um, encouraged her friends to put their account in her bank. And then she started managing their funds. And in ten years, she ended up taking about two point one million dollars. And that's here locally, where I am. Um, yeah, I think what happens right a lot of times, Kelly, is that. Uh, these these cases never hit the news, and they never get charged. 
because the person is able to pay the the money back, they borrow it from somebody, and and the company doesn't really want to pursue it. Is has that been your experience too? Um. Well, you know, I I would have to say um, I think that the women's statistics so there was a forty two forty two percent increase in a ten year period from nineteen ninety four to two thousand three for women embezzlement arrests versus only a two percent increase for men. Um, those are FBI statistics, and actually, I did a presentation recently and got the critique after the presentation got great uh, results on it, but one. One person said, I wanted, I would have liked to have seen newer statistics. And I guess I didn't make it clear. The problem is, is it isn't a well-studied area. So mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of statistics on it. And embezzlement cases, going back to your question, um, a lot of them are not reported. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business owners are embarrassed. It mm-hmm. costs money, unfortunately, for them to have the cases investigated. Um, cops. You know, they prefer dead bodies over spreadsheets. Uh, I have a dental case here locally where um, we're waiting for the police officer to go and interview the woman. However, where it is, there's been some pretty violent crimes recently, and so the embezzlement case gets put to the bottom of the pile. Sure. And that makes so, total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I also think that men, because they're at a higher level, you get a couple. Say you get a couple of men. They start up a business together. Um, the president starts quote living out of the corporate checking account. He's taking his family on business junkets. He's you know doing things like that. The partners are upset. Um, they're like, you know what? We're just going to sue him civilly. Whereas mm-hmm. it might be a theft. It might not. But they're just not willing to come forward for those type of cases, and they can afford to sue civilly. A lot of the smaller victims cannot afford to sue civilly. Well, and you know, earlier earlier I thought you made an interesting point. Uh, Many police departments do have a threshold amount that they will not get involved in. You said your sheriff's department was $5,000, but some of the um, higher-end neighborhoods, that, that threshold amount is way higher. Oh, yeah. It could be hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, before they'll even get involved. Right, right. I mean, I, you know, I've been in law enforcement. I, I come from a financial background, and that's why they picked me up in law enforcement. But most cops do not grow up to become cops so they can play with a spreadsheet. They grow up to become cops so they can <laughs> go to point. the range. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, so... Your what what that, would be the profile of a woman who would be involved in white collar crime or a uh, pink collar crime? So she is that long term trusted employee. Um, you know what? She's sort of the most trusted go to employee. She's the one who, I, uh, she is the one who is quote the second wife in say a small medical practice. The the dentist ophthalmologist. He's got that go-to employee who buys all the birthday presents for his other employees. Um, Mm -hmm. She's always there. She rarely takes vacations. Statistically, she's between 40 to 49 years old, according to the ACFE. Anecdotally, I think they're getting a little bit younger. And I think that might be the demographics of more women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of them have... According to ACFE, 87% of them have no criminal history. 
Right. So I do background investigations. And I mean, I will tell my clients just because she is good today, meaning good, she has no criminal history, does not mean that she won't turn south. So. Yeah. And these women are typically, you know, typically very intelligent. Yes. And they're personable. Their employers like them. They get along with the other employees. They're articulate. You know, they they look like good employees. Oh, yeah. They're not the scary sort of tweakers that you, you know, if you see coming down the alley, you're going to turn or clutch your purse a little bit closer. No, no, no. These are the soccer moms. These are the, you know, they're your neighbors, I hate to say. Okay. Well, we're going to take another break, Kelly, but when we come back, I want to talk about the gambling nun. I want to hear more about uh, the nun who stole a lot of money. Perfect. So we will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're talking about pink-collar criminals, women who steal from their employers or whoever they can steal from. Uh, Kelly, before the break, we were, I want to just talk about the gambling nun. Tell me a little bit about what happened with her. Sure. So Sister Marianne Rath, she was a nun, um, 68 years old. Uh, she was sentenced to 90 days in jail this past summer for stealing almost $130,000 from not one, but two New York parishes, and she had a gambling addiction. Um, the thefts were actually discovered during an audit, and apparently the investigators who did the case um, discovered she had a gambling habit and spent money at Western New York casinos. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty darn sad. You've been a priest, or I mean, a nun all your life. 
Mm-hmm. And this is how you're remembered. But as it, this shows, nuns are human too. You know, right? It's a it's a human affliction, and um, and it's really interesting to me that she only got ninety days, and I guess she did community service. But that just goes to show you, uh, if if a male if a male employee had done that same thing, I could imagine, and and wasn't involved in the church, I can imagine the sentence would have been much higher than ninety days, and and you know, county jail. Right, right. And she obviously, well, not obviously, I'm assuming no prior criminal history. Um, and, yeah, so, uh, but it's pretty sad. We also had a woman out here who, um, in Oregon, who her defense was breathless leg syndrome drug. Uh, Say that told, again? It was what? <laughs> the the drug for rest, restless leg syndrome. Oh, right, you right. actually... Google that um, and Google gambling, they'll say that um, people have used that as a defense. And a woman stole from a local golf course in Oregon, and um, her defense was she was using this drug, and it caused her to start gambling. And $250,000 later, you know, she got caught. Hmm. So there's all sorts of defenses. And I had heard from some people familiar with the case, but the victims in that case were not um, very cooperative because they did feel so bad for the woman. She was that long-term trusted employee, member of, you know, theoretical member of the family. So, Well, and, you know, employers are in denial. I can tell you from personal experience with working with an employee that was stealing, the you don't want to believe that somebody that you've trusted with your, really your life, your finances, that that person has betrayed you. So companies will wait a long time before they'll even take action, even when there's those flags waving at them. Right, right, exactly. Um, a lot of business owners are embarrassed, you know, that they're embarrassed. Um, yeah, absolutely. But because everyone, it, because I kind of call it relatable crime. Everyone knows someone who either has been ripped off or knows of someone who's been caught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it does make sense is that, that that pink collar crime is on the increase because there are w- more women in the workforce. Uh, I think the statistics that you provided, uh, Kelly, is that in, in six, 1963, there were 36% of women in the workforce and in 2001, there were then 60%. So it stands to reason that that theft would increase uh, in relationship to the increase in the workforce. Right. Exactly. And more access and and more responsibilities and all of those kinds of things. Uh, So what are the, I guess you call them pink flags, what are the red slash pink flags that would indicate... Um, Besides, you already talked about that they never take time off work. That's a huge flag. Right, right. Um, What are some of the others? Gambling. I hate to say it, um, but gambling. If if your trusted office manager, bookkeeper um, is going out, gambling is so accessible these days. I mean, when I was growing up, people had to either go to Vegas or Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. Now you can go to the grocery store and buy lottery tickets. You mm-hmm. can. We have these sort of video poker lounges in Oregon. 
um, it's just so accessible. And um, whether people think it's an addiction or not, um, it's, it's around us all the time. Um, the other pink flag is lifestyle. If you okay. see that they're living, you know, beyond what you know you're paying them. Mm-hmm. I had I had a dentist recently, you know, we do these sort of intake conferences. And at the end of it, he to kind of lighten the mood, he jokingly said, well, when I saw that her Lexus was newer than mine, <laughs> and I'm just like sitting there, yeah, thanks. I mean, it, it, it's last, you know, it, it was lighthearted and everything. But the dentist who, you know, trudged through dental school, has loans to pay for an expensive practice, and his office manager, who is maybe paying $18, $25 an hour, is driving a newer Lexus, it's a problem. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, it, it's interesting. There's all kinds of ways to steal because I know of a situation at a particular dentist's office where the dental assistant was taking the gold that the dentist got out of people's teeth because he can turn that in and it can be melted down and he gets credit for it. Right. Where she would take that and, and that would be her extra pay that she thought she deserved. Right. Well, and um, as far as dentists, there's a statistic, and it's a, kind of a wide band, but they say anywhere between 30 and 60% of all dentists will be embezzled from in their, you know, career. And so even if you split that and say 45%, that means almost one out of two dentists will be ripped off at one point in their career. And it's not really, it really isn't dentists. It's just like, it's just that it's a small business, a small doctor's office, dentist's office, chiropractic office, where there's one person handling all the, the finances. Right. And when you're sitting there getting your teeth drilled, do you want the dentist worried about his, you know, spreadsheets, his productivity? Or do you want <laughs> not, him really. Thinking, right? <laughs> not really. You want him thinking about how to make this as quick and painless as possible. Well, are there other um, commonalities in the kind of women that steal? I mean, um, do they particularly need approval? Are they are they particularly greedy? Are what are there other things that you can identify? Well, in the past, it's been that men have stolen for they call it the three W's: wine, women, and wager. And um, they say. that women generally have stole have stolen for relationship based type of issues. So, um, I had a case where one young woman um, embezzled, and basically her boyfriend liked the better lifestyle, so he treat her better. Um, so she kind of stole for that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, women generally kind of higher loyalty, the sick parent, the sick child, the kid who wants to go to a soccer camp, things like that. But it seems to be, anecdotally, in my practice, that it's more becoming the lifestyle issue. So there's now this thing that women steal for the three C's, which are cars, clothing, and casinos. Cars, so clothing, and casinos? Right. Yeah, okay. So and, and, you I, know, I, and there's a proliferation of casinos these days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, probably then the the major 
the major factor, though, is lifestyle. Right. Exactly. Okay. I mean, you know what you pay your employees, and this goes to the fraud triangle of opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. I mean, I have victims, and they say, I pay my employees, you know, 25% above the average. And I will tell a dentist, even if you paid your office manager a million dollars, which is crazy, mm-hmm. but she spends $2 million, she's still going to steal. So, you know, you can be the most generous employer in the world, but these people are rationalizing that they need more. And well, and they also steal. rationalize, they also rationalize that they deserve it. They're always there. They're the go-to person uh, in a dentist's office. They're probably the uh, person that the dentist leaves phone number to be the on-call for emergencies. Right. You know, it, it's, it's those kind of things where they rationalize that they are uh, important to the business and they're not getting paid enough, no matter what they're getting paid. Well, and that goes to tone at the top. So, um, you know, you say you have an executive and even the owner of a business, and he takes his family to Aspen for a conference. And he brings his family along. They have a wonderful vacation. He comes back and he submits his voucher, his credit card. And the bookkeeper who, you know, basically at Christmas got a day off, wasn't able to buy her children nice presents, let alone take them to Aspen. And he says, write it all off on the company. The bookkeeper is like, well, you shouldn't be writing off your kid's stuff, you know, the IRS. Mm -hmm. And that tone at the top, it trickles down. They mm-hmm. get tired of it, and it never justifies it. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're not – it's people's thought process. So when they come at home, they can't, you know, turn their heat up, and they see that the owner of the business is basically ripping off the IRS. It, it becomes easier for them to justify it in their mind. Exactly. Well, And, and you have a, an example of a woman named Diane Katani. Katani? Uh-huh, Katani, yes. Katani, and she worked in a dental office. What, what was she doing? Um, no, actually, she worked for Blockbuster Video, and she was doing HR for them. Uh, oh, okay. Stores, things like that. Um, but she had sort of, as, as I understand it, she worked for Blockbuster, and or uh, she worked for a company that did things for Blockbuster. So the company had a rule or Blockbuster had the rule that we could only give X percent of our business to one vendor. So the owners of the business set up a satellite or, you know, a subsidiary so they could skirt around it. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, you could say, well, that's okay. But it was sort of that workplace tone, well, we can get around this, but we'll just set up a, you know, subsidiary and we'll get more business and no one will be the brighter. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of tone, you know, it trickles down. Right, right. You so know, they never blame the victim, but, you know, sometimes, and sometimes I'll get a case where you'll come in. A lot of times law enforcement is not contacted because they've got two sets of books. They have the books for themselves and they have the books for, you know, the authorities. And they think that the cops are going to figure out that, you know, see, we haven't been paying our taxes correctly. You know, and 
and it goes back to the denial. I remember years ago when I was in another in another life of mine, uh, another kind of work. Um, we were trained as supervisors to what they called manage by walking around. And it just meant that you were letting people know that you were, you know, you weren't, you weren't a pushover. You were going to check things. You were going to peri- periodically audit. It was no big deal that you were going to do this, but that was just part of your job. And it was amazing how many things you could catch just by managing by walking around and just being observant. Right, exactly. And things like, think basic things like you don't have your bookkeeper be solely in charge of writing the checks without a check and balance. Right, the internal control. Exactly. You don't have everything consolidated into one person. It, you know, it, it's no matter how honest you are, it's a temptation if you're in trouble financially. Uh huh, exactly. Yeah. So, um, what, what's been your most recent case, Kelly? Um, unfortunately for the dental industry, it's been a dentist. <laughs> Has it? Yeah. I can count on, you know, several of those a year. Um, okay. and it, it well, really is textbook. Okay, we need to take a, another quick break, Kelly. Uh, let's talk about that when we come back. Okay. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Kelly, we were just talking about your most recent case, and you said, again, it was a dental office. So tell us about that. So 
Sure. The employee had actually left the dental office, and it was a couple months later that the dentist discovered it quite on accident. Um, things weren't working financially quite for the dentist, and so she started looking, you know, closer. Um, the woman, again, never took any time off. She also, this is one thing that um, I've seen, is that the the pink-collar criminal causes a lot of strife in the office. And part of really? the reason they do that is to get the owner of the business to, like, rely on them even more so. So this mm. woman got several receptionists fired saying they weren't quick enough to answer the phone when no one was quick enough because she wanted to answer the phone so she wouldn't get those phone calls. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's, you know, it was a, sort of a long-term uh, ongoing embezzlement and uh, not a huge amount per year, but when you look at it over five, six years, it's substantial. Right. And how about credit cards? Was she using credit cards as well, or did she have a, a office credit card? Um, no, we we haven't seen anything like that. Um, people don't understand that, and dentists don't understand that they have a pretty big cash business. You have some co-pays. You also have, in this case, where she was doing side deals. So she would tell the patients, um, you know, if you could pay $400 over the next three weeks or four weeks, your $800 bill, it'll be good for 400 because so they mm. do these sort of side deals. So there was cash. Um, Interesting. And in the Discounting dental the dental practice yeah. takes in over a million dollars a year, you know, in revenue. Hmm. It's a lot of cash. Well, I hope we're not giving potential criminals ideas here on the show, <laughs> how they can steal from their dentist, uh, their dental office. Uh, so how, what else was she doing? I mean, that sounds very creative on her part, I have to say, to offer, um, you know, if I were got a call from my dentist and I owed a big bill, I certainly would be interested in getting a discounted uh, rate. Right. And, and in these dental offices, the dentist doesn't ever really walk the patient out to the front. They're on to the next chair. Um, right. So they were not aware that there was, you know, any sort of side dealings at the front office. And she would make sure that the patients would come in to pay on the days that the dentist was going to be out. Mm-hmm. So if the dentist happened to be up front, you know, it, it just made it better, you know, show up on Friday afternoons, um, right before I go to the bank, you come up with these crazy excuses. And, well, I don't know, my dentist, I don't think he works Friday afternoons. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so in, in her case, she had left, she left the office. She no longer worked there. Um, and then what did the dentist do? What, how, what happened next? Um, in that case, the dentist contacted their accountant um, and the accountant and I have a relationship, and so I went out and spoke with the dentist. There's a lot of um, hand-holding that goes on for the clients, which is part of that I really enjoy doing, is that to make them understand they're not the first, they're not the last. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully get them where they decide that they want to prosecute, but again, it does cost money. A lot of the dental offices have smaller sort of employee dishonesty policies that might only cover $25,000. Mm-hmm. So um, 
but then they also, you know, the insurance company doesn't just write them a check for 25. It needs to be proved. That, right. It needs to be proven up. Exactly right. Right. So, um, just, you know, going through saying what documents we need and also being the liaison between the dental office and law enforcement if they do decide to go that route. Because as I tell the dentist, you make more money working on people in the chair than you will going to, you know, the local mm-hmm. police station. And also, they don't talk the same language. You know, it's a slow process, as I'm sure you know. I mean, it's not like TB, the, you know, CSI dental victim or dental uh, embezzlements where it's solved in an hour. I mean, these cases, they can take several years sometimes. Exactly. And, and frankly, law enforcement, because they don't typically have the uh, the type of people that do financial crimes, they like to have it worked up for them so it's all done by the time they get it. Right. And like in a dental office, they have different, like several types of software. And, you know, someone, one of them is easily downloadable into Excel. Another version isn't downloadable into Excel. Um, I sort of know what law enforcement wants and what they don't want, what they need to have to prove it, what they don't need to have to prove it. But then Mm -hmm. myself as a private investigator, I can't just go put subpoenas on people. That's where you need the law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So has it been your experience? Now, do you go in and do the audits or is there an outside firm that is typically hired to do an audit? How does that work? Um, No, I am not a CPA. I know just enough accounting to be dangerous. Um, I do have a colleague that is a CPA certified fraud examiner. And so a lot of times we work together on these type of cases. So he's looking at the profit loss, the income statement, the balance sheet. Um, He does a lot of the more technical type of work, whereas I come in and try and kind of clean things up do the interviews of the coworkers because it's amazing you go and you talk to the coworkers after the fact and um, you know they're like well she her son would show up every day and get money or she always had a new car and her husband doesn't work and the coworkers do know a lot about the lifestyle so mm-hmm. doing those type of interviews I also really enjoy doing um, right. and then getting in the office to kind of Going forward, these are the things you need to do. As the dentist, get your statements sent home. Go online and check them. You know, there's a lot of sort of safeguards that you can do and educating them. For sure. that And that's that's probably very gratifying uh, for you to do that because you're establishing a relationship. You're, you're, you're training the employer on what to look for, um, right. not for the future as well as what, is going on with that current situation. So, um, and this is, this is fascinating, Kelly. It's, uh, it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about personally that there was such an increase of women in, in the criminal world. And uh, although, you know, I've certainly seen it, but I hadn't thought of it about being, uh, such an increase. But we're at the end of our hour. We have to close. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank uh, you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, any more tips um, you can give, send them to me in an email and I will put them out uh, with our, my next show promotion. So tune in again next week, folks, as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler and thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.